0: Uh, This morning, I want us to continue with the series that we started last Sunday uh, for Advent. Uh, God, we've been talking about eternity all year long. And uh, I I want us to focus on God's uh, night when he breathed eternity uh, into the world in which we live in such an amazing way. And uh, this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about God's night of eternal love. Last week, I talked about God's night of eternal hope. And uh, there were individuals that were, uh, that were impacted by that message, and I, I really uh, I give glory to God for that. As a matter of fact, at the end of the second service, I had uh, one gentleman, uh, Emmett Barry, come and say, I just want to give my life to the Lord, and he was baptized after the second service, and he said, I just need some hope in my life uh, today. I just want to talk to some people today that maybe are struggling with the fact that God loves you. That's what I want to talk about today. And talk about the fact that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, uh, no matter what, where you've been or what you've become or made out of yourself, that God loves you more than what you can possibly imagine. I wanted to look at just one verse of Scripture in the Christmas story in Luke chapter uh, 2 that we looked at last week, and we're going to study this section all month long. And I want you to look at verse 7, only verse 7 of, uh, of Luke chapter uh, uh, Luke 2. It says she gave birth to her firstborn, and he was a son. And she wrapped him in cloths, and she placed him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the end, You know, as I was thinking about that section of Scripture several months ago, as I was really thinking about this series of sermons, I wondered to myself, you know, why would it be that the God, the creator of the universe and all of his majesty, would would send his son into the world. First, just send him in the world at all. But then they would send him in the world and have him be born homeless. Isn't that amazing to you? Why would God do that? I mean, the Bible describes what heaven was like. In Revelation 21, it describes the, that it says that the, the walls of heaven were jasper and the streets of heaven are gold and the glory of God gives uh, light to the city. It's described as a place where there aren't any tears or death or mourning or crying or pain. The Bible says that the, uh, that the city of, of uh, heaven is the place where uh, the, the uh, tree of life is and that where God, the giver of all life, uh, resides. In the book of Ezekiel, the first chapter, it describes the glory of God. And, and that chapter is mind-bending as you, as you try to get your head around the description that, God, that uh, uh, Ezekiel sees of God. And he says, this isn't the way God was. He said, this is the appearance. This is the way I saw God. This is the best way I can describe it. And I would just encourage you to read uh, the book of Ezekiel chapter 1. It's an amazing, amazing uh, story or, or, or description of the glory of God. But I just pull a couple phrases from it. Ezekiel said, I, I, I saw God high uh, above, seated on a throne. And his appearance was like glowing metal, full of fire, and brilliant light surrounded God. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, that passage of scripture where Isaiah is called into ministry, we read about the worship that is constant and heaven. As a matter of fact, as you go to Revelation chapter 4 and 5, you see almost exactly the same statement. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, giving glory to God, the angels repeatedly say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. When I think about the glory of heaven, magnificence of God, the throne room of heaven described in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. You know, God could have chosen to have his his son born anywhere. Largest houses, beautiful mansions, gorgeous settings. But in reality, in verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and she placed him in a manger a barn, a a cave perhaps, because there was no room for him in the inn. And I wonder myself, why on earth would the God, the creator of the universe, choose to have his son be born homeless? Well, I think the simple answer to that question is, well, he did that because he loves us. And that's the truth, we all know that. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die so that people wouldn't have to uh, suffer eternal loss but could have eternal life. We know that. One of the very first songs, and the kids did such a great job, one of the very first songs that I remember singing in Sunday school growing up was Jesus loves me, this I know, for what? The Bible tells me so. Now we know that. God loves us. God loves all of us. But I think in reality, most of us struggle in the depth of our hearts to believe that God really loves me. Now, he loves everybody else around me. He loves the world. But when God looks at us and when we look at us, I think we have a very difficult time accepting the fact that God loves me. The Apostle Paul describes uh, himself as a struggler to believe that God loved him that much. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, he, says, he describes himself as the least of the apostles. He said, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you see that in him struggling to believe the message that he preached to everybody else that God would love him? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse nine. I, I'm sorry, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says of himself, he, he says, I'm the worst of sinners. There's nobody a greater sinner than I am. Paul, the one that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, struggled to believe that God loved him. This morning, if you're here and sometimes you struggle to believe that God loves you exactly the way you are, I want to tell you that you're in good company. Because I think if we were all very, very honest this morning, we would all say that there are times that we struggle to believe that God could love me. There are three types of people that as I was thinking and reading through some of the stories of people that Jesus interacted with in the New Testament, I noticed several groupings of people that I, I find that, G, that, that, that I find that struggle with the fact that God loves them. I just want to share them with you this morning, look at some of their stories, uh, and then we'll close out with communion uh, this morning, a reminder of God's love for us. The first grouping of people, the first type of strugglers that God loves them, I believe are the people that just say to themselves, God can never forgive me. God could never forgive me. He just could never forgive and love me. Now, I find an example of that, the apostle uh, by the fire, in the Gospel of Luke. Would you turn there with me to the Gospel of Luke, the 22nd chapter? That's back, I'm sorry, we're in the Gospel of Luke. Just go to chapter 22. And there's a story here about the Apostle Peter. You remember Peter, don't you? He was the guy that was always bragging uh, about what he was going to do. And uh, remember that Peter was the guy that stepped out of the boat right as soon as Jesus uh, walked up. And he said, hey, man, I'm going to walk on water. He was always the type of person that, that was kind of a ready, uh, fire, and then aim type of person. That was just the way he was. But in chapter 22, we read an interesting account uh, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And I want you to read this and then follow on with the story to see Peter's denial of Jesus and his difficulty of accepting that God could ever forgive him. It starts out would you read with me verse 20. In verse 20 of your scripture text it says in the same way after the supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you Uh, but the hand of the one who is going to betray me is with mine on the table and the son of man will go as it's been decreed but woe to the man who betrays me. Then they all began to question among themselves, which one of the apostles could he talk about? Now, this is fascinating to me, verse 24. And a dispute arose among them as to which one of them he considered or was considered to be the greatest or the first. Now, that's not the perfect picture that we have of the uh, communion table where Jesus uh, first shared the loaf and the cup with the, with the apostles. You know, we've seen the picture before. All the guys looked so lovely around the table and accepting. But the truth of the matter is they were all uh, digging for uh, first rights of uh, being the greatest in the kingdom. And who's best here? Who's the, uh, the strongest? Who's the most powerful uh, uh, of the whole group? The story goes on, verse 31. It says, Simon, I, Satan has asked to sift you. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. But when you have uh, turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Simon replied, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you. You remember the rest of the story. Jesus said before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three different times. We pick up the story in verse, verse 54. It says, seizing Jesus... They led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. A very dangerous place for any person to ever be. Following Jesus at a distance, be better not to follow Jesus at all uh, uh, than to follow at a distance, the scripture would later say. Jesus would say, I wish you were either hot or cold, but not at a distance from me. But Peter was following at a distance. In verse 55 it says, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them, and a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. And she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little while later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was one with him because he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word that had been spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me. Three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now this was the same guy that had walked with Jesus three years. He's the same guy that when Jesus was going to raise a little girl from the dead, that Peter was one of the just the fewest of disciples that went in and watched Jesus do that. It was Peter who was the one who, as I said a moment ago, jumped out of the boat and walked on water. But now Peter had rejected the Lord. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. And can't you see in his mind, Jesus can never love me again. God can never, ever love me because he can never forgive me of what I've done wrong. I think a lot of us look like this next guy on the screen. I think a lot of us live with a despicable me kind of a complex. I mean, I am bad. Anybody feel that way? I am just bad in my nature. I try not to be, but there are times that I am just bad. I mean, God knows uh, me, and he just couldn't love me because I am just a bad person. Now, we smile about that, but the truth of the matter is there are some of us here today that are saying, you know, That's in reality, and I'm not smiling. Because if you really knew me the way I know me, you wouldn't love me. We struggle to believe that God loves us because we know that God does see us exactly the way we are. And how could God love me? Because I'm despicable. Would you look at me for a second? Because I got some news I want to share with you. Can can I tell you something about your feelings of being despicable? Can I I just want to be dead honest with you. Can, Can I help you here this morning? Can I tell you something about your despicableness? In reality, I agree with you. You are despicable, all right? And so am I. We are all despicable. Because of the things that we have done, the things that we have said, the things that we have thought, our actions, the way we have driven driven people away from us, we are all despicable creatures. But you know what the Bible says about about God? The Bible says, 1 John 4, verse 8, that God is love. And that means that God has to love us, no matter what we have done, because that is His nature. God doesn't pick or choose whom He loves. Because he can't. He is love. Listen to several passages of scripture that describe God's love and the result of his love in your life and mine. In Ephesians chapter 1, the apostle Paul says, in love God predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance to his pleasure and in his goodwill. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, uh, the Bible says, God demonstrate, demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Psalm chapter 103, verse 11 and 12, it says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for us. As far as the east is from the west, so far uh, God has removed our sins from us. You remember Peter? The God that said God certainly could never love me, could never forgive me because of what I have done. That he went out and he wept bitterly. Do you remember, Peter, remember on the day of Pentecost when Jesus, when the Holy Spirit was choosing who would be the first spokesman of good news? Who was it that spoke? It was Peter. Why? I think it was because Peter finally understood what we all need to understand. And that, there's, and that is this, that there's nothing we could ever do to cause God to stop loving us or to cause God not to forgive us. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, and he says, love covers a multitude of sins. Folks, I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what you're struggling with this morning. I don't care how far you feel away, uh, that you are away from God. I want you to understand that God loves you. And that God wants to forgive you. And this morning, God's forgiveness is available to you. At the end of the service this morning, we're going to sing a song and and I'll be here at the front and just to give you the opportunity to say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to accept forgiveness. I want to be clean in in my life. I remember a young lady one day coming to me and talking to me and said, "Uh, if God's who he says he is... Even though I've messed messed up my life so badly, if I gave my heart to him and, and accepted him just as the way the scripture says, does that mean that I could be totally pure and clean again? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. What do I need to do, you might ask, to receive forgiveness? Well, you just need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You need to be willing, second, to confess that belief before other people. Just say, hey, I believe that that's the truth. Jesus said, you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. You need to repent of your sins. That means heading in a different direction, man. It's not about, God forgive me, oops, I'm going to jump right back into sin. Forgive me, I want to jump back, kind of like fire insurance, you know, just in case, uh, you know, when Jesus comes back, I want to be ready. No, it means turning away from a life of sin and then being baptized into Christ, taking on his nature as you do. The first type of person that I find that just struggles with the fact that God really loves them are those who say, God can never forgive me. There's another group of people though that I I find struggling to to believe that God could ever really uh, love them are are those who who say, next slide there, uh, Eva, that God could heal me. I just can't ever believe that God could really, really heal me. Now, an example of that is found in the Gospel of Mark, the fifth chapter. I want you to turn over there, Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. And in the middle of a story where Jesus is on his way uh, to heal a critically ill ill child, and eventually the the child will actually die, and Jesus will raise the child from the dead. In the midst of that story, there's a story of a woman that I want you to notice had the idea that, man, God, I I don't think could really love me because I don't... Think that he could ever heal me of the condition of my life. Let's read together, starting in verse 21. We'll just start in the very beginning of the story. It says, when Jesus had again, this is Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by uh, the lake. And one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus uh, came there, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded with him earnestly, My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him immediately. It says a large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. You know, I think the word spent is an apt description of individuals that really struggle with God's love for them in their life, and and the fact that they they think God couldn't really love me spent all that they had. Uh, You know, I, I don't know what your healing is that you need today, it might be a physical healing. There may be some here today that have struggled for years and years and years with a chronic illness that, man, you just can't get past. And it's in the desire of your heart that somehow uh, God would step into your life and, and heal you. Maybe you've spent everything that you have uh, that you think that you could spend uh, to receive healing. Or maybe there's somebody here that, man, is just struggling with emotional brokenness and, and uh, uh, stress uh, uh, that, that can cause just incredible incredible problems in your life maybe there's someone here that today that's that's struggling with with uh, the brokenness uh, of, of the disease of broken relationships and you're saying man my life is screwed up it is a mess and uh, i you know i can't imagine how things could ever be right or maybe you got broken financial issues or on and on and on the list could go you see the woman comes to jesus that day and According to her estimation, she had spent all that she had to try to get well. Was that true? Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. You see, a lot of times we have in our mind, man, I've done everything I possibly can do to be healed. But Maybe Jesus would look in your life and my life and say, no, you're not there yet. You haven't released enough yet. You're not at the bottom yet. And so maybe we linger just a little longer where we are. Verse 27, we pick up the story again. It says, when she'd heard Jesus, she came up behind Jesus in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if. is that word a huge word? If. The following words, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I could be clean. If. Maybe you're here today and you're saying to yourself, if I could just be a better person, God would straighten up the mess of my life. Or if I could, you know, just be a, a, a person that's more giving or caring, God would step in my life. Or if I could pray well enough and say the right words, or if I could have more faith, or if I could be like somebody else, then God would give me the healing in my life that I need. Verse 28 continues the story. It says, because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Verse 29, immediately when she touched his clothes, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him, and he turned to the crowd and asked, who touched me? And you see the people crying around you, the disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it, and then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And she said to him, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be free from your suffering. Freed released. Have it a thing of the past. For some, that's the longing of your heart. You're just wishing that God could somehow step into your life and give you healing for whatever it might happen to be, physical, emotional, whatever the issue might happen to be for you. Maybe you asked yourself too many times uh, and have concluded that God uh, answers prayers, but not, just not your prayers. He answers the prayers of other people and he he turns other people's lives around but he just won't answer yours and because of that maybe you've concluded that God just doesn't really love me. If that's the case in your life, I would just want you to remember three very important things. Number one, remember. Remember. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, he said, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember, I don't care what it seems to be like in your life, remember God loves you and nothing nothing you can ever do or nothing that can ever happen to you in your life would possibly ever separate you from that love second word is the word wait first remember the second word i would give to you is the word wait do you remember that jesus had some half brothers and several other sisters their name for us in this in the gospel of luke one of them was a, was a guy by the name of jude And he writes uh, one of the short books of the Bible, almost the end of the Bible. I think it's the book right before Revelation. Just one chapter. And in chapter 1, verse 21, listen to what Jude says to people who sometimes are wondering, is God ever going to step into my life and give me healing? Or am I just going to have to live this way forever? Listen to what Jude says. He says, keep yourself. Fasten yourself. Make it a foundation for your life, a hook that you can hang your whole life on. Keep yourself in God's love. Keep yourself listening, God's love, as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to bring you to eternal life. Folks, I'll be honest with you. I don't know that in this life you'll ever have total healing. You might. You might have a victorious story that you can share and a testimony to everybody you ever meet. Or maybe your healing will not come until Jesus returns. I would just encourage you to, to wait and keep yourself in God's love. The last word I'd give you is the word persistent. Persistent. Be persistent in prayer. Don't ever give up. My brother walked far away from God for 17 years, and I prayed for him for 17 years, man. For 17 years that God would just do whatever it took to capture his heart and bring him back to God. Year 17, my brother accepted the Lord, and I'll not tell the story. Some of you know it is a dramatic story, but accepted the Lord into his life uh, just months before he went home uh, to be with the Lord. What if I would have quit praying at the end air- end of year 12 or 14 or 16? Would God have answered my prayer? Maybe, I don't know. Did God answer my prayer? Yes. Is my brother in heaven today? Yes. Is it a result of me on my face on a regular basis for my brother? I believe so, yes. And the prayers of others as well. Folks, be persistent. Don't ever quit. Don't ever give up. Keep on praying because you don't know, maybe God will answer your prayer today. I don't know why he waits, but he does. And maybe today will be today. Well, the first group of people that just struggle with the fact that God loves them are those that say, man, I'm not sure God could ever forgive me. The second are those that say, I don't know if God could ever heal me. The third group, very quickly, I just don't know that God can ever use me. I don't know that God can ever use me in my life. For an example of this, I want you to go turn one last section of Scripture uh, to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, this is a, a powerful passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John in, uh, in chapter 4. Gospel of John, chapter 4. It, it's a powerful story uh, of, about Jesus uh, uh, meeting a woman at the well uh, in, uh, in Samaria. Perhaps you know the story, but maybe if you don't, let's read it together. It says in uh, in John chapter 4 and verse 1, it says the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized at all, but it was his disciples. And when the Lord learned this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his own son, Joseph. And Joseph, uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now his disciples had gone into town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a, a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews don't associate with Samaritan. Jesus answered, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have uh, asked him and he would have given you living water. I find it interesting that Jesus was not a competitive sort of person. Uh, it didn't bug Jesus that John's disciples uh, are, are his disciples, which one were baptizing more people. As a matter of fact, he wasn't even baptizing anybody, his disciples were. Uh, isn't it interesting to you that he wasn't a, a nose counter and say, hey, my flock is bigger than your flock? You know, that wasn't, that wasn't him at all. What was Jesus concerned about? Jesus was concerned about touching, hurt, broken people. And that's what he does in this story, verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank uh, from it himself? as he did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. And Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give him will become to him a spring of living water to eternal life. Move on down to verse 28. Uh, It says in verse 28, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Now, what was the everything that she had ever done? It says in verse 17, when she said, Jesus had said, go call your husband, she said, but I don't have any husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have any husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband at all. What you say is true. You see, the woman was so captured by a man that was so different from any other man that she had ever met before. You see, she had already had five husbands, and man, she understood that every man that ever locked eyes with her had one thing in mind, and it was always from an impure motive And she was so down, so tired of being put down and thrust away and and treated as if nothing would good would ever come from her and that she couldn't be good and she could be of use to no one, that she was totally amazed when this man spoke to her, number one in truth, and number two in love. Perhaps the woman thought nobody could ever use me. Jesus could never use me for anything positive. God could never love me, could never forgive me, never make me feel clean again. But in Jesus, she found all of those things possible. Maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, man, God can never use me because of what I've done. Folks, I want to tell you it's because of what you've done that God can use you. Because because of what God has done and what he has done in your life, or what you have done and what he has done in your life to bring change, that you have a gospel good news message to share. Would you hear what the Apostle Paul writes about you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? He says, God's love compels us. And we are convinced that Jesus died for all and that we who live should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and who raised us again. Jesus has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Compelled by love. Compelled by love. No matter what your past is, your future can be an ambassador for Christ. And God can use you, just like this sinful woman, to bring people to Jesus. By the way, she brought her whole village to Jesus. Her entire village, and if you go on reading read the rest of the story, many, many, many people uh, put their faith in him, and Jesus spent two more days there convincing people to follow him, and they did. Why? All because this woman that no one would dare associate with met a guy, Jesus, that could give her true love and true forgiveness. And Jesus used her to bring people to Christ. Well, compelled by love, you can bring people to Jesus too. How can you do that? I, I want to give you several ways. Number one, invite. Just invite people to come to church with you. Invite people to come to church with you. That is your job. That's your responsibility, all right? Uh, people show up because people invite them to come to church. Do you realize that three out of four people don't go to anybody's church? Can I tell you this? Please don't invite people that go to some other church, okay? Don't invite anybody that comes to, goes to somebody else's church to come to this church. You know why? because they're going to leave that church because there's something about that church they didn't like. And guess what? They're going to be here about three weeks and there's going to be something about this church they don't like either. So find people that don't go to anybody's church. Three out of four people that live around you, don't go to anybody's church. Invite them to come to church with you. Number two, just love people out loud. Chris shared about our outreach on uh, the 21st Saturday, 21st of December. Be a part of that, where we go in our community, just love people out loud and give cookies, invite them to come to the Christmas Eve service. And number three, tell people good news. You say, I don't know what to say. The good news is exactly what this woman said. I was messed up in my life, but God loved me enough to send Jesus to die on a cross. And, folks, that's the gospel. That's the good news. Just that simple. And tell that good news to other people. Well, it's time for communion. And and, uh, Craig Rochelle, in his book, uh, The Christian Atheist, uh, gives a listing there of, he's kind of going ABCs of people that God loves. Would you listen as he shares just people that start with the letter A that God loves. He says God loves uh, artists, and he loves astronauts, and he loves airspace engineers. He loves accordion players. He, he loves ankle biters. He loves animal rights activists, and he loves airplane pilots. He loves athletes, and he loves acrobats, and he loves accountants, even during tax season. <laughs> God loves people from Alaska and Africa and Paul even from Alabama, you know, with the loss a couple weeks ago. God loves absent-minded people. He loves awkward people. He loves assertive people. He loves authoritative uh, people. And he loves the antisocial and the aggravating type of people that's just the A's how about the B's God loves babies and he loves boys he loves bankers and he loves band leaders he loves ballerinas Bible readers biology teachers bird watchers and bus drivers God loves bookworms bachelors botanists bowlers baby boomers boomerang throwers he loves uh, beekeepers uh, BBC watchers I'm not sure why but he loves blondes and brunettes and even people with blue hair he loves uh... Big, uh, bag <laughs> bag ladies, and he loves bartenders. He loves people that brag, and he loves brats, and he loves the beaten up and the burned down and the burned out. Folks, God loves everybody, and he even loves you. And that's the message of the Lord's Supper. Let's bow together, let's pray. Father God, as we have the chance together again today to remember your son's death, on a cross for us. Father, I thank you for this awesome, awesome privilege that we as a church have every single Sunday morning to remember the truth of your great love for us. Now, Father, as uh, the bread has passed and the cup has passed and as we receive them and, and eat and drink, I just pray, Father, that you would remind us again of your great love for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.